Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. And the man thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So this uh, passage starts with a bit of an interjection from the crowd. It's a man asking Jesus for his help to split the inheritance. It seems obscure and different to us, but actually in Jesus' day, this was something a rabbi would do. They were, they were quite respected in their community, and it was expected that they would judge fairly between people because they were representatives of God's law and they were trusted to make the right and fair decision. Jesus' response, however, is far from cordial. And uh, I actually don't think my um, translation gets it very right because the tone of Jesus here is actually annoyance and anger. The trans- my translation says friend, but actually what it should be is man. And so he says, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And so why the strong response? We have to ask ourselves. Let me illustrate you with a, a illustrate this to you with a story of my own. Um, So when I'm uh, not here on Sunday nights, I'm usually at uni during the week. Uh, I'm heading towards graduating as an engineer at the end of the year, which is very exciting. Um, And it's been a long, hard four years, but uh, it's been made um, a lot of help by the fact that I've had some really good friends that have been able to help me along the way. It took us a little while to become friends, though. Because uh, when you're at the start of uni, you kind of only ever see each other in class. And uh, everyone at the start of uni is very worried about getting through the first couple of years. And so we weren't really friends because when we came to each other, all we really wanted was something from each other. Whether it was, how do we do this question? Or how do we, like, what's the answer for this thing? Or can you help me understand this better? And we weren't really serious about being friends with each other. It probably wasn't until about two years in that we actually realized that we didn't mind hanging out with each other and we wanted to know a bit more about each other. And so when we let each other be who um, when we let each other be who we are, we actually decided we quite liked being around each other and we wanted to spend more time with each other. Jesus' response is based around this. 
because he's not inviting us to a fake transactional relationship where we might uh, be a fan of him and then we get some sense of importance about ourselves, or that we get the moral high ground in situations or that we get to be a part of a community with a bunch of other people that are also fans with him. No, Jesus looks for followers who discover who he is, not fans who tell him who to be. Jesus won't let us use him to get what we want because he actually wants to transform us to look like him. Now, this is going to require crooning, uh, crooning, pruning and rebuke and getting rid of things in our lives that will stop us from living the way he meant for us. It will mean that every day we will have to deny ourselves, live a life of sacrifice, pick up our cross and follow him. All right, well, how? How do we live lives of followers, make sure that we're not just falling into that trap of being a fan. And what sort of sacrifice is Jesus after? Well, Jesus uh, has more to say on this, and in fact, he addresses the crowd and he tells them a parable. And he tells them uh, to teach them about greed, the greed that he sees in the world around him. He says for them to be aware and on guard against all kinds of greed. Jesus' parable is about a farmer, and he's had a really, really good year. Maybe the the ground was just right, the rains came at the right time, and he's produced lots and lots of crops. And in fact, he's got so many that he runs out of room to keep them. I don't know if you've ever run out of room to keep some stuff, but that's a lot of stuff. And so instead of saying, okay, well, now I'm going to sell it or or do whatever with it, he says, I am going to pull down my barns and make bigger ones so I can actually keep everything all together. And that way, I can just relax. I'll be all good. In effect, he's actually just retired early, which can't be a bad thing, surely. But God comes in the night and tells him that his life has come to an end, and now he's got nothing to show for himself. Jesus finishes by saying that this is what happens to people who aren't rich towards God, which in essence means not rich in the eyes of God. Jesus draws the line of fan and follower, and we have to decide how we want to listen to these words. Because what Jesus is describing to the people around him seems like the good life. Some people there may be in poverty and they might be striving to get to that point where they can just relax and enjoy themselves. And he would have offended the rich in the crowd that maybe find themselves in this position. But Jesus' message is far more than just a warning for the rich. It's a warning for everyone. Because remember, he tells them to be on guard against all kinds of greed. Now, I'm not super rich. Um, Well, (laughs) I'm not super rich compared to like Gina Reinhart or something like that. But I too have had to battle with greed. Uh, Last year, for the first time, I got to do some full-time work in an engineering firm. And I was very fortunate enough that they they, uh, they paid me for the six months work that I did there. And so I was working nine to five for the first time and on a salary. 
and it was uh, really good to be getting like more money than, I don't know, just umpiring basketball games here and there or, or working at a retail place. But the, the, um, the issue occurred when I started getting this reward for what I saw as my work and my effort, and then I was expected to give it away for other people. I felt like it was mine that I had worked for, I deserved it, and that to give it away would not be fair to the work I had done. And I, not only that I didn't like spending it on other people, but I started to not like spending it on myself either. Every time my car broke down, which is often, I didn't like spending it to get my car fixed. If we go back to the passage, we can start seeing some similarities between my story and the story of the man. Because the man says things like, I don't have anywhere to store my crops. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I'll store my grain and my goods there. See, the reason why the rich and the poor need to be told together to be on guard against all kinds of greed is because that even if we don't have money, we can, be, we can still be greedy with the things we do have, whether it's our time and the way we use it, whether it's our friendships and relationships and not sharing that with other people, whether it's the gifts and abilities that we have or even our service to others. We can be greedy with all of these things because we think we are more deserving of these than others. But Jesus wants followers who find worth in what they give up for others, not what they have for themselves. See, fans want to hold on to things themselves because they think that those things belong to them. But followers give because they know that everything that comes to them is a blessing from God that should then be used to bless others. Jesus is not looking for fans who are just happy to come along for the ride. He's looking for followers who are going to live differently in a world that tells them that what they have is good. Jesus is looking for followers who are willing to be generous with what they have, knowing it does not truly belong to us. Jesus is looking for followers who are going to be rich toward God. And so if we go back to Jesus' final warning, it's that we need to be rich in the sight of God. That ultimately the, those uh, who find their worth in their wealth or in their stuff or even in themselves are still going to be found bankrupt in the sight of God. So we need to... We need to know what it means to be rich in God's eyes. We have to ask ourselves, where do we find out how to get rich in God's eyes? And so some might say, well, we just go to the Ten Commandments, and if we do those, then we'll be considered rich. Or it's all the other Old Testament laws themselves. That's how we get rich in the sight of God. Or if we just do what Jesus says on the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, then we'll be rich to God. You see, the question is always, what do we have to do to be rich by God's standards? But it's this very mentality that Jesus wants to challenge. 
See, a fan wants to know what they have to do to get something. Um, I go for the Essendon Bombers, and they were here last week in Adelaide. And as a fan, I wanted to know what I needed to do to get a ticket to see them play. And John unfortunately broke my heart when he said, you have to have a membership, and I wasn't willing to pay a membership to go and watch them play. And so similar to this, fans of Jesus want to know, what do I have to do so I can get what I want from you? They want to make their own richness, the things that they have, the things that they've done, count so that they can get what they need from him. But Jesus wants followers who find richness in him. Jesus wants followers to look to know Jesus because his words, his works, and his ways are life. Jesus wants followers that look to know him because he lived the perfect life. Jesus wants followers to look to know him because he was the only one who was rich to God. And Jesus demonstrates his richness to us by generously offering us uh, the invitation to enter a relationship with him. It's a bit of a vague concept, but let me perhaps share another story that might help. My dad's here tonight, and uh, he's a really, really good cook. Um, He sees stuff on MasterChef, and um, I don't know, when he goes out to restaurants, and he thinks, gee, I want to know how to do that because I want to make it that good at home. And one of the things that I think Dad's now got 100% perfect is pork crackling, which, if you've ever tried to cook it before, is really, really hard. You have to get, I'm looking at Dad now, you have to get the right even heat, is that right? And you have to get it somehow to crisp on top. You have to take this, the, the crackling off after a while and just bake it a bit longer. But Dad's worked out how to get it down pat. Now, one day, I'm going to move out from Dad's house, and one day, I'm going to want to learn how to make pork crackling as well. So where am I going to go to learn? Am I going to go try find the pork crackling recipe on taste.com? Or am I going to go read, I don't know, like all the Donna Hay magazines or Jamie Oliver cookbooks? I'm not really a cooker, so you can tell by the words I'm using, I'm pretty new at this. Are they the places I'm going to go? Or am I going to seek to know my dad, to watch him, to learn from him, to see how he makes pork crackling so that I too can have that same skill? In the same way, when you and I come to Jesus to simply know him, to devote our lives to him, to pick up our cross daily and choose to follow him. He grows us and teaches us and makes us more like him. So eventually when God looks at us, he doesn't see our riches anymore, but he sees the richness of Christ in us. See, fans can easily sit on the sideline and cheer Jesus on and you know clap when he heals people and like shout for joy when he takes on an injustice. But followers embrace a more challenging but far more rewarding invitation. It's an invitation to follow him so he can lead us from greed to generosity. So he can lead us from fear to love. 
so he can lead us from slavery to freedom and most gloriously from death to life. The life of following Jesus is challenge, yet it is also the most rewarding adventure in life. Tim Keller says this of following Jesus, that Jesus offers us unimaginable splendor that requires complete and utter surrender. Tonight, I want to ask you, do you want to take up the offer of utter surrender? Do you want to stop telling Jesus who he needs to be for your sake? Do you want to change from living a life of clinging to the things that you think belong to you and move to a life of generously offering those things to others? Do you want to get off the sidelines asking what Jesus can do for you and instead seek to know him and move towards him and let him slowly transform you from your own riches to his riches? Will you let him transform you from a fan to a follower? We're going to continue asking these questions over the next couple of weeks. And it's going to be a challenge to us. There are going to be uncomfortable moments during these sermons. But Jesus doesn't lead us untransformed, as we learnt in last week's sermon. He actually wants to transform all of us to look more and more like him. And so I want to invite you to continue to wrestle with these things this week. To keep asking God, where does he want to transform you? Where does he want to move you from fan to follower? And maybe actually you're here and this is the first time you've heard of the life of following Jesus. If you want to discover more of that, then please keep continuing to come here and wrestle with it. Talk with the people around you. Because we want to set you up on that journey right as well. Jesus offers us unimaginable splendor that requires our utter surrender. Let's pray tonight. Father, we want to recognize that sometimes it is easier for us to sit on the sideline. That the way of the world tells us to sit on the sideline, to accept you as just a good teacher or a moral person, but you invite us to even more than that. You invite us to be completely transformed by you, to become a new creation formed in the shape of you, so that when our Father looks at us, He sees the beauty and the riches of his son. Father, I pray that you'll stir in us tonight and into this week and over the weeks to come as we continue to ask, what does it mean to be a follower of you? We pray these things in your name. Amen.
Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.